Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. When we say that a person has arrived, we mean that they've attained their goal and entered into it. And so it is for the Christian. If heaven is your goal, you've already arrived. If worship is your goal, again, you have it. If enjoying God is your goal, you have attained Him. That is what we are taught in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Let's read it together. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The images that the author puts before us in this passage contrast the place that you are brought to if you just follow the law of God. If you think but following rules and religious orders and structures and systems and regulations that you can in any way make yourself worthy of God and gain His presence or gain His salvation or gain His trust by these things, you've only come before Mount Sinai. You've only come before the law. And in that place, there's not community, there's not fellowship, there's fear and there's dread. In contrast to this, the author describes the place that God brings His redeemed people to through the free gift of grace. The first place is an allusion to, as we said before, this place at Sinai where the people of Israel came. But it's not the place where God wants to leave them. God wants to bring them on to the place of fellowship where He actually comes in their midst and dwells among them as one they can meet and know. The first place is a tangible place, but it's a tangible place of dread and distance from God. And these are some of the things that we spoke about last week. And so let me just very quickly cover to you a little bit about what we said last week. And then we gave a cursory review of the last part of this passage last week, and we want to look at it more fully this week. As we say, the first place is a place of tangible dread and distance from God. So look at those verses. And you're looking at verses 18 through verses 21. There you see that the law reveals the sinfulness of people. And by the way, the law not only reveals the sinfulness of people, it reveals the holiness and the justice of God. And that's all that the law actually can do. The law's purpose and the law's intent as it's given to us is to reveal our sinfulness and God's holiness and reveal that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. It is to leave us as we find in Romans chapter 3, guilty before God. And that was the effect of it as the Jews were brought before Mount Sinai. The law was meant to reveal to them their sinfulness and that without the sacrifice for their sins and without a mediator to take that sacrifice to present it before God, that they could never come and dwell before and in the presence of a holy, terrible, sinless God. We're going to discover 
as we go into our passage further, that this is not the place that God has brought the believer or the child of God or the Christian, the one who is trusting this son as Savior. But we're also going to understand, and we want to understand, and this was our point last week, that before God can bring us to the place He wants to bring us to, which we'll talk about in just a moment, that the first place that He has to bring us is before this place. He has to bring us before the law. He has to bring us before His holiness and His justice. He has to, in a sense, bring us before Sinai, where we see God is dreadful and powerful and holy and destructive in His holiness because we are all unholy. He has to cause us to see in His presence our own sin, our need for the sacrifice, a need for a punishment to be paid for our sins in our place and a mediator to present that offering on our behalf. And then when God brings us to that place trembling and fearful, then God can open up to our eyes a different view. We are to see His Son as the gift He's given to us. We're to believe in Him as the Lamb who has come to be our sacrifice. We're to trembling lay our hands upon the head of that Lamb as He dies in our place. We're to recognize that His Son is not only our Lamb sacrifice for us, but it's the priest that offers up the sacrifice. And He presents His sacrifice in our place before God, seeking God's just forgiveness because He's paid the price for our sins. He mediates that sacrifice on our behalf. When this happens, when we believingly see this and trust this in our hearts and accept Him as our Savior, in a sense, trembling before Mount Sinai, at that very moment, God takes us from that place and He brings us to a different place altogether. We arrive not where we tremble in fear and we seek our distance from God, but we arrive in a place where we draw near to Him in full assurance of the faith. We arrive at the place that's described here in the second half of our passage. So, the Christian is someone who actually, in a sense, if we were to study and review the story of their coming to Christ as a Savior, the Christian is somebody who has been brought before Sinai. They've seen the terror of a holy God, and they've seen their sin, and they've seen that they can't keep the law, and they've known the dread of God's presence and of God's justice. And in fear, they've been brought before Him, seeing their sin and recognizing their desperate need of a Savior. They've come before Sinai, but there God has opened their eyes and seeing the Holy God to also see a sacrifice that's provided for them. Seeing that their sins deserve God's wrath, they've cried out for mercy and grace and for a mediator to stand in their place. And the Christian has found that in Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He's the one who offers himself for our sins and then mediates it on our behalf. And so through Jesus Christ now, we've come to a totally different place altogether. It's not a place you can get your hands on. And it's not a place that you can get to by the work of your own two hands. It's a place where Christ brings you. It's a place where you're saved in Jesus and in Jesus you are now placed there. In other words, the Christian has arrived at this place, the second place that we're looking at here. And the second place is a place of rejoicing and nearness to God. The one place was a place of dread and distance from God. This is a place of rejoicing and nearness to God. Here's what the author says. It says, you have not come to the first place, but you have come. In verse 22, you have come to Mount Sinai. And that word you have come is in the Greek. It's in the perfect tense. And it has a note of duration to it. In other words, it means this. You have come to remain. In this place, you've arrived at this place. This is your destination and you've arrived here. 
Let's look at them one at a time. But you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You know, in Israel, geographical Israel, Jerusalem had two high points within it. It had Moriah, and on Moriah, Mount Moriah, one high point within the city of Jerusalem was the temple. And there were the administrations and the carrying out of the various sacrifices, and there's where the priests served, taking those sacrifices and taking it up into the presence of God and seeking to mediate for the sins of the people. And so you had the temple area on one high point, And it represented the priestly service of people trying to come into the presence of God. And then on the other part, you had this area called Zion. It was the highest point in the city. And it's where David's fortress was built. And it represented David as king, where David would rule over the people. And it was from there that the kings ruled over the people of Israel. And Zion ultimately became the name for all of this, for all of this place. And it became a spiritual expression of the priestly rule of God over his people and the kingly rule of God over his people through the Messiah. Now, Jesus Christ has come, and he's our priest. He mediates for us. He stands on our behalf, having presented his sacrifice for our sins, and he brings us near to God. And Jesus is our king, and he rules over us. And the image and the picture here is of a spiritual Zion and heaven. This is not a place, as we said before, that you can touch and you can put your hands upon. But the Bible is telling us that God has now brought us to this place where God stands and gives us the Messiah as our priest and as our king. And where we stand with him in his presence. The contrast here is made between Mount Sinai, the craggy mountain where God gave the law, And Moses and all the people before the fire and the storm and the darkness and the terrible expression of God's presence revealed on the mount with its unbearable power and majesty were driven away from its presence and where God said that don't even let anything living come and touch this mount or they'll be destroyed. All the people sensed their intense unholiness and and God spoke from that mount and gave the law and the people heard the Ten Commandments being given and as the commandments were given by the voice of God, the people cried out to Moses and said, don't let God speak to us again or we'll be destroyed. You speak for us instead. A place of alienation, a place of loneliness, a place where they can't even come near and hear God's voice. This is being contrasted to the place where the Bible says God has brought us to now. God has brought us to a place where we can draw near to Him and we can enter into His presence and where God would be our king and God would be our priest. You know, actually in the Bible, there are other expressions where God comes down upon places to reveal himself in the earth. We see this expression of God coming down upon Mount Sinai and the people being filled with dread. There are other passages where we're told that God comes upon the ark that's constructed and it's put into the tabernacle and later into the temple. And both times when God's presence becomes down upon that ark, we're told that the people were driven away from the temple. They couldn't go near because the glory of God fell upon that place. You'll remember the story in which David sought to bring up from the house of Abinadab the ark which was resting in this man's house to Jerusalem. And there had been rules that God had constructed for how the ark could be moved. There were staves or poles or put alongside rings in the ark which represented God's presence among the people. And that priests were to take that ark and carry it on staves and carry it wherever they went. On this occasion, it appears that the staves were in the ark, but they took the ark wanting to move it and not knowing exactly how to do it and having forgotten God's word and God's instruction, they put it on an ox cart. 
to take it from Abinadab's house up to Jerusalem. As they were moving along, the ox cart was jostled a little bit, and one of Abinadab's son, Uzzah, reached out just to stabilize it because it looked like it was going to fall. And the minute he touched it, he fell down dead. And terror, it said, filled all of them. God was not to be trifled with. God had come down, and God had made his presence known in that place, and it was powerful and potent and fearful. And Oh, you'll read other passages where this takes place and happens on other occasions. You, you might remember the story of Elijah, where Elijah is seeking the presence of God, or God is bringing Elijah into his presence. And God brings Elijah to a cave, and there's a huge earthquake, and there's a wind that comes that rips the mountain apart, and there's a fire that descends upon the mountain, and, and Elijah is not stirred by it. But then God manifests himself to Elijah in a still, small voice. Elijah comes out to the base of the cave and he's trembling and he's shaking. He wraps the mantle around his head so he cannot see because he's filled with dread and fear at the manifestation of God coming down upon the earth and revealing himself. That's what happened at Mount Sinai. But in this passage, in this reference, God is not coming down and touching an earthly thing to reveal himself. Instead, in this passage, God is drawing. He's not coming down and revealing his presence and his power. But in this passage, we are being lifted up by God's power and brought into his presence. And we're entering into his presence in the highest of all places, in the holy place where God dwells. And wonderfully, on this occasion, we're not driven away from his presence. We're not covering our faces in fear. We're not running in dread. I'm so glad that you've joined us for this broadcast of the Bread of Life. Each weekday, it's our privilege to share with you the food from the table at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message or to learn more about our fellowship, call us at 208-331-4096 or go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next broadcast, the Lord bless you.